Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Um, Christmas is in less than two weeks, everybody. Are we nervous? Who hasn't started shopping yet? It's okay. Raise your hands. Here we are right there with you. Like yesterday we were, we were laughing. We we're like, wow, like all these families coming out, they're way ahead of us in this. Their gifts are wrapped. They're picked out. We've got to start here, but uh, God's grace is for us. We'll get it done somehow. How many of you guys have been enjoying Christmas movies? What are some of your favorites? Elf, Elf. Polar Express, Charlie Brown, Home Alone, Wonderful Life. You guys know the genre Christmas movies, right? Just make sure everyone knows. In the first service, no one started responding, so we got to like the more raunchy ones. Like I said Christmas vacation, and everyone was like, yeah, that's me. I'm like, okay, you go get saved in Jesus' name. Uh, but just, yeah, awesome, awesome Christmas movies. Uh, we have a whole lot of fun. You know what's funny, though? Being on this side of it now, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, I've started two Christmas movies that I feel like I watched as a kid that now I'm like, no, like we're not watching this. I had to stop Elf halfway through yesterday because when the dad picks up the gift that's lingerie, my son's like, what's that? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to put on Charlie Brown um, or the Grinch. And then we were watching Jingle All the Way. And I mean, it's, it's Sinbad and Arnold. So what do you expect? Uh, I'm like, yeah, you get a little bit older. But I've got my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, those are two of them. I also love It's a Wonderful Life and didn't know it was in color until Wednesday. So... For, yeah, for like the past 26 years, I've been watching it in black and white, and it's in color now, everybody, so your life has just been changed. Uh, But just a whole lot of fun Christmas movies, and I want to share with you guys a theme that I've picked up on in the Christmas movie genre, but I think it's also, you're going to see, it goes beyond just Christmas. Like, this is a theme of society in our media, in our music, in just our conversations. And it's simply this, fathers matter, or dads matter. Like, just think in Elf. Like, he goes from the North Pole, goes through the, the swirly gumdrop forest, whatever, the Lincoln Tunnel, all what, to find his dad, to have a relationship with him. And then there's that heartbreaking, a child's looking for their dad right now, uh, <laughs> And then there's a heartbreaking conversation that the dad has with Buddy. And he's like, get out of my life. You're ruining everything. I never wanted you. Like some really, like, I think we just peel back the layers on Elf. It's pretty deep, right? And then you think of Jingle All the Way. I love that movie. But the whole time, Jamie, the kid, just wants his dad to be there for him. Like, why weren't you at my game? Why aren't you at my karate contest? Like, where were you? And then even It's a Wonderful Life. Great, heartfelt movie, but think, when George Bailey has the opportunity to go and leave Bedford Falls, he stays behind to honor his dad, to carry on the building and loan legacy. And I think if we spent some time this morning not just staying in Christmas land movies, but we looked elsewhere, you would see that theme. We are a society that is looking for a father. We're looking for one that will be there with us. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the third name that the prophet Isaiah said Jesus would carry, and I think it's one of the most interesting ones. So we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and in it you'll see these are the names that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, said this is going to happen, and here's his names. 
So he says this, and it's a Christmas text. You've heard it or seen it on a card. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Now read this part with me. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we're looking at these four names of Christmas or the four names of Jesus. And before I go further, I just want to give some honor and shout out. Aren't you thankful we have such a dynamic preaching team here at Blaze Church? Right, last week, Joe brought us a, the mighty God and Josh, the wonderful counselor. And I was told by both of them that if I didn't wear a plaid red shirt, I would be kicked off the preaching team. And so you can look back in the archives. All three of us now have worn this shirt. It's anointed. We're going to sell it afterwards. Just joking. A seed offering, so maybe we can. Uh, but what's great is like we're having this 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 series through the names of Christmas, and um, they got off easy because look at the one I got today. Hey, explain to the church how Jesus, the Son of God, is the everlasting Father. <laughs> God the Father. But here's our question. How does Jesus, the Son of God, because that's who Isaiah is talking about, how name everlasting Father? Because what Isaiah said is, you're going to see this Son that's given to you, Son of God, and you're going to see how he's wonderful counselor. You're going to see how he's mighty. Father, that name. And so we're going to explore that. Now, before we get into our biblical text, I want to just preface this message with this. Today, we're going to talk about your relationship with your dad. And that can be really messy to do, especially around the holidays. I want you to think, when you think of your dad, what words come to mind? Maybe for you, you never even knew your biological father. So you just don't even have anything there. Maybe when you think of your father, words come up like supportive and stable and he cheered you on. Or maybe words come up like he was angry, he was absent, he was removed. I'm reading a book right now called Intentional Father. And in it, John Tyson gives us these five words. It says, you know, as you think about fatherhood, as you think about a dad, maybe you can find that yeah, dad was irresponsible or ignorant. He just acted as if he wasn't a dad at all. We didn't matter to him. Or he was inconsistent. Yet he would show up, and you thought he was going to be there, and then dad would be gone, focused on his stuff. Or he was involved. And then he kind of gets to the point in his book, he was intentional. And I will just say, if you're a father, I highly recommend this book. I've been working through it, and it really is challenging me. It's called Intentional Father by John Tyson. But today, as we talk about Jesus, the Son of God, carrying the name Everlasting Father, I was praying a whole lot for this weekend that as we peel back some of the layers on our relationship with our dad, whatever that looked like, stable or unstable, healthy or unhealthy, aware or unaware of even his existence, I believe that today can be a starting point for some healing of some father wounds. Because we've all got them. Whether your dad is in your life currently and was, was there, he was still flawed. I say that as a flawed father. I know that I'm going to make decisions that are flawed for my children. Maybe the wounds are fresh. Maybe they're years old, and Christmas just has a way of taking a scar and reopening it. 
So how can we find healing as we look to Jesus, the Son of God, who is given the name Everlasting Father? I read this quote. It was actually in the book, Intentional Father. The author says, Boys do not ache for their father's masculinity. They ache for their father's hearts. Isn't that true? Isn't that what led a middle-aged Will Ferrell to travel all the way to New York City? He just, just wanted to find his father's heart. We're, we're aching for that as a society. In fact, I was watching another movie recently, not a Christmas one, and in it, all three main characters became criminals, thieves, and they shared their backstory of why they now live this life. And every single one shared it had to do with their dad. Like, it's like they knew what I was preaching on. It was perfect. But that's just, pick any movie, any music, just start listening to the narrative of society, and you're going to find a consistent theme that we are aching and longing for a father's heart. So how might we experience that in the son that's been given who's got the name Everlasting Father? And so we're gonna look at Jesus and how he lived his life and find some healing. Now, when Jesus first began his ministry after Christmas and was baptized and went out into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days, how many are thankful that next month we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting and a 40 days of prayer and fasting? Can I get a good amen? Jesus can take that, right? He went out and he's in the wilderness and he comes back and he begins interacting with people and he's calling them to be his disciples, And one day we read that he's out on the shore and he's teaching the crowds, but the crowds are so numerous and they don't have a good eyesight of him that he asks one of the fishermen there, who we know as Peter, his name was Simon at the time. He says, hey, Simon, can I borrow your boat to go and and get out and preach from your boat? And he says, sure, why not? And how cool is that? Suddenly Jesus is on a floating stage. How cool to be to play drums on a floating stage in the middle of the Peconic right now, right? Just, just Jesus, he's out there and, and he can see everybody and he's teaching. And then he says to the disciples, hey, why don't you let down your nets for a catch of fish? Now, they've been fishing all night. And now here's this rabbi, this teacher, this no fisherman that says, throw down your nets. And here's what Simon says in Luke chapter 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But, I like these words, because you say so, I will let down the nets. He's like, we've been at this thing all night. We're fishermen. We're professionals here. Fish sleep during the day. They don't go to the surface. At night, they come up, and then we can catch them. But you're saying so, so we'll do it. And what do you think happened when they did it? Anyone want to take a guess? They caught some fish. They caught so many fish that James and John had to come over with their boat and help them haul up the net and get it onto the boat. Now, if something like that takes place in your life, a miraculous catch of fish, what's your reaction? Maybe praise God? May not be able to sing as good as these guys, but I'm letting Jaira out right there. I don't care if it's off key or not. Like, you're more than enough. You provided for me. I'm following you. I'm worshiping you. Not so with Simon Peter. His reaction to the miraculous catch of fish in this moment should make us pause. Because here's what Peter said. When Simon Peter saw this, He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am 
a sinful man. Not the reaction we might expect after experiencing a miracle by Jesus. Go away from me. Get out of here. Why? I'm a sinful man. Now, I want to say this. Peter is showing us, in one sense, a very healthy self-awareness that all of us need to have if we are to understand salvation in the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news that God sent his son, gave us his son for our sins because we are sinners. Jesus paid the price for our sin. That's why Peter doesn't just say like an American version of this, I'm working on it, Jesus. I'm not that bad, but I'm not that good. And you understand. No, he goes straight to the heart and says, I'm sinful. So scripture calls it. I've, I've fallen short of God's standard. I'm sinful. But notice, because of his awareness of his sin, he believes the response that Jesus should have is abandonment. Because of my sinfulness, you should depart. I don't know anything about Peter's father. All I know is he had one, because we all do. But if Peter is like us, maybe there was a point in his life where he had gotten used to letting people down and them responding with leaving. Isn't that what we experience? We, we don't measure up. We don't meet the standard. We don't hit the mark and we disappoint the person. And we can feel some of their love was lost for us. It was conditional. Maybe Peter's just thinking very religiously. Because religion will say, oh, you've got some sin there. You got some guilt there. We got to clean that up before you can get close to God. We got to make sure we take care of that before he'll accept you, before he'll want you. See, we go into this Christmas season with all of those thoughts, and then we see these movies with kids crying out for their dad, no matter how old they are, and they're just looking for a father's love, aching for a father's heart. And here's Peter, and he recognizes, I don't deserve you, Jesus. Get away from me. Now, how crazy it would be if the next verse said, Jesus turned to him and said, you right. And walks out the other way. Right? We would never expect that from Jesus. But come on, isn't that so many of us, that's our actual perspective, that God doesn't want us because of what I've done? The world tells me I'm damaged. The world tells me I'm broken. I'm not good enough. I don't have value. I don't have worth. My dad wasn't there for me. Come on, we carry all of that into a relationship with God. And just like Peter say, you've got to go. Somebody praise God. That is not what he says. Look what he says next. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. The first words he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I'm gonna explain what that means, but notice those first three words. In fact, let's say them together. Don't be afraid. Scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear. See, Peter is living with an awareness of his sin, healthy, but he's afraid that that has ostracized him from a relationship with God, unhealthy. And so love himself, perfect love, looks at Peter and says, don't be afraid. It's the same three words that all throughout the Christmas story we hear the messengers say to Joseph, don't be afraid. Mary, don't be afraid. Shepherds, don't be afraid. Why not? Because I bring you good tidings and peace and hope unto you a savior is born. His name is Jesus. The Christmas narrative is don't be afraid. And Peter hears this, don't be afraid. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you're not a sinner. It's not that bad. 
Didn't say any of that. Acknowledges it. Don't be afraid. What am I going to do? I'm going to change your identity now. You're living for one thing, but I'm going to give you purpose. That's why at Blaze Church, we believe everybody's on a journey to know God, find freedom, and discover purpose so they can make a difference. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, we got a purpose here. And clearly you're not good at fishing anyway, so let's go after people. <laughs> let's change career paths. It's not working out, man. Just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I wrote this down as I was just meditating on this passage. I got to say, when I was writing this this week, I just felt like the Holy Spirit kind of just put his arms on me. Just give me that warmth and that joy. And I'm praying you're experiencing that. And here's what I wrote in that moment. When we say, I don't deserve you, Jesus says, yes, and here I am. Because I'm telling you, if you think that you deserve salvation, you have yet to acknowledge your sin Scripture says we acknowledge, we confess with our mouth, but if you just stay there, you're going to stay in a state of despair and guilt. And so you need to hear the words of the master this morning. It says, yes, you don't, but here I am because I'm everlasting. What's his name? Everlasting Father. So all four gospels record this moment where Peter is called to follow Jesus. And in Matthew, he writes these words that I want to show you that are important for our message this morning. Matthew chapter four, verse 19 says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Just two words, but I want you to remember them. Follow me, follow me. It's how Peter starts his relationship with Jesus, hinged on those two words, follow me. Now I'm gonna give you a real quick three years in about a minute. For the next three years, Peter does just that. He follows Jesus. And he hears the teachings and he sees the miracles and he eats the bread and the fish and Lazarus is raised from the dead and it's awesome. Imagine three years walking with Jesus, following him. And then one night Jesus is arrested and Peter follows him to the trial and stays in the outer court. And when he's challenged by a middle school girl, he says, I never followed that guy. I don't even know him. Fear crept back in. He must have forgot the words he first heard, don't be afraid. And he's challenged about it. And three times over, he denies ever knowing Jesus. Then Jesus is crucified. He's buried. And then one, what we call Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, some women go to the tomb and see the stone rolled away and the tomb's empty. So they go back and they tell the disciples, And John writes that John and Peter took off running for the tomb. And because John was writing this gospel, John includes the detail that he got there first, which I think is hilarious. He just reminds Peter for all of time, I beat you in a foot race, dude. When it mattered most, I got to the tomb before you. But he also says that Peter went in first. And Peter got into the tomb and sees there is no body there. And he goes home. What does he do with that? And then suddenly, there are these Jesus sightings. He's appearing with disciples on a road. And then he's appearing in a room when the door was locked. And then he has this moment with Peter specifically that we are going to read about. But before we do, what do we know? Jesus' first words to Peter were, follow me. His response was, I don't deserve to, but I will. For three years he does, and then he denies him three times over. And now he's going to have a conversation with the resurrected Savior. 
How many are wondering if it's going to get juicy or not? Is Jesus going to call him out on that whole little denial thing? Let's see what happens. So here's what we read in John 21. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, no disrespect to Peter, but the two times we see him fishing in scripture. (laughs) My boy catches nothing. And I can relate, Peter. (laughs) A couple times I've been out, catch nothing. But I want you to see the other similarities. Remember, there's a three-year time difference here. So here they are. He catches nothing. Early the next morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, that's awesome. So I don't know if it's because of a distance thing with the Jesus on the shore and them in the boat or just what Jesus is doing with his resurrected body. But all we know is they're on the boat. They've caught nothing. Jesus on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus. And here's what he says. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Which we would say today is Jesus throwing shade on the disciples. He's Jesus. He knows they caught nothing. They've been working hard at it all night. And he's just, hey, do you guys got any fish out there? Probably like whisper back, no, no, we don't. No. Verse six. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, John doesn't record the side conversation, but I got to believe somebody, maybe Peter is mumbling, oh yeah, the right side of the boat, sure. Sure, stranger, like we didn't try the right side of the boat. All night we fished off the left side. You're right. But they do it. And when they did, come on, you heard this already. You heard it, it happened three years ago. They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, I don't know if Jesus was just running out of material three years later, (laughs) or if these disciples needed to be reminded of an everlasting father who is faithful to keep coming back no matter what we're doing. So they end up counting the fish, 153 fish, which is an important detail because the fact that John says 153 means he's using exacts to show us this moment happened. And Peter realizes it's Jesus. And so he jumps into the water and apparently can swim better than he can run. So he swims to shore to meet Jesus there. And Jesus has breakfast set up for them. And then we get the talk between Jesus and Peter. Post the denial after the resurrection, and Jesus asks him this question three times over. Do you love me? And all three times we hear Peter say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And scholars wonder if Jesus asked him three times in response to the three denials. Whatever the reason was, could you imagine that conversation that Peter, who first began this following of Jesus with the phrase, I don't deserve you, get away from me, and now has all of this history in his relationship with him, is hearing him ask, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? I wonder if Peter is wondering if the hammer's gonna drop and Jesus is gonna say, well, then why'd you deny me? You let me down? You really love me? You gotta get it together, son. You gotta pick yourself up. I need better than that. And yet Jesus doesn't say those words. Jesus does say something weird, though. He actually tells Peter how he's going to die. I wonder if he's wondering, like, uh, is this happening later today? Like, why are we talking about how I'm going to die? It doesn't. 
Christian history and tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down, feeling not worthy to die the way Jesus did. But that's just tradition. It's not in scripture. But what we do see in scripture is that Jesus says, here's how you'll die. When you get older, here's what it'll look like. And then after that weird statement, look at what Jesus says to Peter. Then he said to him, follow me. But Jesus, you said that to me three years ago and I didn't, shouldn't, shouldn't we think of something new for you to say? No, I'm faithful. Follow me. You need to hear the same thing over and over again. And despite what you do, Peter, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not walking out on you. Even if it's three years later and three denials later, I'm still going to show up faithfully and I'm going to say, follow me. I know you don't deserve me, but follow me. And then Peter opens his mouth and asks, how's John going to die? <laughs> Peter, stay with me, bro. And he does. You can read it for yourself. And Jesus says this, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must, let me bring you back in, say it with me, everybody. Follow me. Follow me. Now, if Jesus is not an everlasting father and he's a conditional father, at this point, he walks out on Peter and says, I've done my best. Dude, I got nothing for you. Don't fish. You can't do that. You can't follow me. Like if he's a conditional father, if he's someone that will only be everlasting and faithful based on our responses to him, Jesus walks out. And you know what that feels like because some of you, that's exactly what dad did. You have that wound. You know that you didn't measure up. You didn't get the grades that you were supposed to. You didn't go into the career you were supposed to. You didn't marry the right person. You know that wound. You know someone who does. And we're used to people walking out on us when we don't measure up to their standard. But can I tell you, as everlasting father, Jesus is faithful. He remains faithful faithful to us. He looks at Peter and looks at these guys. And even if it's three years later, he's going to say the same thing to them. You still follow me. You are not disqualified from being my follower. You follow me. He said these words before he ascended in Matthew. And surely I am with you always, not just on your best days, not right, not when you're obeying, not when everything's going the way I want it to. I'm with you always even to the very end of the age. A verse that I believe we need to memorize in our hearts, not our heads, is 2 Timothy. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Can we give God praise for one moment for that promise, that he is the faithful God, the everlasting Father. He stays faithful. And we are flawed. And we get it right, and some days we don't. And I feel like Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he says, I'm walking by the Spirit, and then there's something I don't want to do, and I do it, and I walk by the flesh. But we have a faithful God. We have an everlasting Father. And that is not an excuse to remain unfaithful to Him or to settle in our sin, but it's a motivation to say, I know that you're always going to be around. Thank you for that. I surrender. Change me. Make me more like you. You know, I know that I'm a flawed father. And I know that my dad's flawed. And I love my dad. He's here. 
I'll share with you a story that I have as a memory with my dad. I don't know what in the world got into my head in either eighth or ninth grade, but I decided to try out for the basketball team. See, that little awkward chuckle is because Joe already knows that was a bad idea. He was in the first service. I was like, you know, let's just do this. They need players in order to have the team be the team. And because they needed a minimum of people, I made the team, everybody. I got in. And our school had a 45-second rule, which meant every player had to play for at least 45 seconds, which meant for me, I got to play for at most 45 seconds, everybody. I saw my 45 seconds of fame go out there, miss every shot, and, and just, it was ugly. But here's what I remember. My dad was always at the games. He was faithful. He was there. Even away games, I would look up and I would see my dad sitting up in the stands, like, you came all this way to see me miss a free throw for 45 seconds. That was amazing. We have those stories, and I'm sure as you peel back layers this season, you might find some of those stories of faithfulness, but at the same time, we'll find stories of flawedness, of unfaithfulness. And I don't know what your relationship looks like with your father. We have all have different experiences, and I wrote down some words that might describe what it feels like when you think of dad. Distant or passive absent, unreliable, selfish, uncaring, or cruel. And if that's the case today, I want to remind you, not so with Jesus, the everlasting Father, who is faithful, that at Christmas he came to this world to make sons and daughters of his enemies. While we were in our sins, we were enemies of God, and yet the free gift of salvation is that he came to adopt us, to make us his sons and daughters. And my prayer for you during this week leading into Christmas is that you might find some healing for a father wound. Again, maybe that wound is fresh. Maybe it's decades old. Maybe it feels closed, but the holidays can make a scar become an open wound again. And so I want us to remain where we are, seated, and I want to pray for you right now, specifically for father wounds. That as we look to the one who was given the name Everlasting Father, the Son of God who came and just showed us the qualities of what an Everlasting Father would look like, faithfulness, consistency, commitment, unconditional love, that you might begin the process of healing by surrendering your wound to the Lord. So would you bow your heads as I pray over you this morning and we go to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we come to you this morning and I, I know that this is heavy. That this is one of those topics that for many we bury, we leave it there. But whether it's the season or scripture or a movie or a conversation, we have that wound that we carry And so, Lord, we bring it to you this morning. We thank you that you are faithful, that your son showed us faithful love. I pray for healing to begin to start in our hearts today. I pray for the one who never knew their father, who's never around. May your arms comfort them today. Pray for the one who had a dad that was faithful and yet flawed. I pray for the one who knew an inconsistent father that was there some days and absent most days. Lord, we thank you that we can come and find healing this morning. 
We thank you for Jesus who came to this world, who you gave, so that we might see a perfect picture of everlasting Father, faithful friend, Savior of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. I want to say one more prayer. Before we do, I'm going to ask you to stand, and our worship team is going to join me here. See, society is desperate for a faithful father. There is that ache in our hearts for one who will give us their heart. And maybe it's you this morning. You don't know the Lord as your Savior. You haven't declared, like Peter, I'm a sinful man But Lord, don't go away from me. I receive you. I confess my sin and I believe in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. Here's what I know. You've got friends and you've got family members and coworkers who certainly need to know the hope of the Christmas message, the gospel, this season. They're living their lives searching, aching for the love of a father. And there is one who was given to us And so what we're going to do now is we're going to pray for them. I want you to think about the person that you know they need to know the everlasting Father. They need to know the unconditional love of God because they've been convinced of the lie that you're not good enough and God has left you. And so we're going to pray for them. And as we pray for them, I'm also going to pray that you would realize this beautiful truth. God is inviting you to bring them the hope of Jesus. And that's why this month we've provided invite gifts and cards and we're putting so much into next weekend, not just to celebrate the Christmas season, but because you've got friends and family and I have friends and family who need to know there's a God who loves you. He's got a plan for you. Next week, we're gonna discover Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so today, as a church, we're going to pray for the person you're inviting, for the person who needs to know the love of God, that their heart will be so soft and ready for you to say, come with me next week to church. Be my guest. Hear about God's love. I need him. You need him. And Jesus was given. Person right now, and even if you want to whisper out to the Lord their name, just go ahead and do that. And Father, we just bring before you our friends and our family who are desperate, they're longing. There's an ache in their heart for the love of an everlasting Father. They need salvation just as we do. And so Lord, we bring our friends and our family to you, our coworkers, our neighbors, and we say, soften their hearts, God. May they know your love this week. May we be intentional with moments to bring Jesus to them. As we invest and invite, may they respond and say, yes, I'll I'll come. I'll hear more about this God who you say loves me. We thank you that, Lord, your will is that none should perish and all should have everlasting life. So we just pray your prayer, your will, your prayer today. May this world know they are loved. May they put their faith and their hope in Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Today, if you want to know Christ, you're saying, I need to know more about following this Savior. Before you leave, I'll be in the back and I'll have a little booklet in my hand. Just come over and see me and I want to put it in your hand and say, here's some information. Here's a good thing to read this week on how to know Jesus and how to follow him. Just